Our reading this morning is from Ephesians chapter 4 and verses 1 to 6. Ephesians chapter 4 verses 1 to 6. <clears throat> As a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling for you you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all, in and in all. Thanks be to the Lord. Morning. Um, and thanks very much for reading, Vic. Well, how was it? And if you're not sure what I'm talking about, the it uh, is Christmas Day, of course. I trust your experience wasn't as bad as the situation we heard about last Sunday evening at Carols by Floodlight, as one member of the church spoke of the experience in their household on Christmas Day. It was described as a royal battleground with two sides willing to fight to the death to achieve their goal. If you haven't got a clue what, I was, uh, um, what I'm referring to, you can either... I'll explain to you now. I was going to suggest that you listen to the, the talk. What was the cause of this battleground? Well, there were two teams in this household... Uh, and they were at war. The dispute was about the time that Team 1, comprising the younger members of the household, I thought would be a perfectly acceptable time to check whether Santa had delivered perfectly on the demands made upon him. They thought that 6 o'clock in the morning was perfectly reasonable. Team 2, the more mature members of the household, thought otherwise. They were in need of their sleep. Indeed, one member of Team 2 had little personal interest in checking what Santa had brought him. It would be socks again, and he had no wish to check, hurry and check on either the colour or the pattern. I've yet to hear whether any blood was shed in that home yesterday. But Christmas can be uh, a stressful time when our ability and our willingness to bear with one another can really be tested. There's something to be said for living on your own. You usually get your own way. No, you always get your own way. <laughs> and possibly bearing with one another might be a helpful pre-Christmas message every year. You may be wondering why we've landed on this passage and this message today. It's one of a series of occasional messages which we started this year, on one another. How we should engage with 
uh, and treat our brothers and sisters in Christ. In the summer term, we covered love one another and serve one another and forgive one another. Let me pray before we look at these verses in Ephesians. Almighty God, please help us to receive from your word what it is you want to say to us and help us to understand how you want us to respond to it. If there is something that we need to act upon, please make that very clear. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, chapter 4 of Ephesians begins the second half of Paul's letter. In chapters 1 to 3, Paul has given his readers some really deep and very rich theological teaching on the glory of the gospel and the believer's relationship with Christ. Then in chapter 4, and the remaining part of the letter, um, there is this transition into some real practical teaching on how believers should live out their faith as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we're moving from belief and blessings to behaviour, from the privilege of being a child of God to the responsibility it carries. And it's interesting that as Paul urges the followers, uh, the believers, to live a life worthy of their calling, as he does in verse 1, it's interesting that the very first practical instruction he gives to the Christians is to bear with one another in love. If I was to sit down and produce a manual uh, for new Christians, I don't think that bearing with one another is a topic that would get uh, anywhere near the front pages of the manual. And yet for Paul, it seemed to be the number one priority. As we read through chapter 4 and the first part of chapter 5 and see the behaviours and attitudes that Paul rightly denounces, such as stealing, rage, brawling and slander, sexual immorality, obscene language, drunkenness and debauchery, I would have wanted to deal with many of those first. But Paul uh, looks at this priority, how we bear with one another, our brothers and sisters, in love. There are two questions I want to consider. What does it mean? What does it look like? And secondly, why is it so important? So what does it look like in practice? It doesn't mean just putting up with people you struggle with. Paul does not say, bear with one another by gritting your teeth. He does not say, grin and bear one another. He does not mean accepting or tolerating others reluctantly or begrudgingly. Quite clearly, Paul has ruled out that interpretation because the motivation has to be love. There is no place for bearing with one another but with resentment. And when we read verse 2, we might think that bearing with one another in love is one of the four qualities or attributes mentioned. The NIV is different from many of the other translations. It puts a semicolon after gentle, which suggests which perhaps separates humble and gentle with being patient and bearing with one another in love. 
but I don't think that is correct. I think a better interpretation is that humility, gentleness, and patience are all qualities that must be evident if we are truly to bear with one another in love. So let's let's look at these these three uh, attributes that are crucial if we want to bear with one another. Humility. What is humility? Well, we know it's the opposite of pride. And no one would ever acknowledge that they were proud. So does that mean that we all think we are humble? It's good, I think, just to take a moment or two to reflect on what it really means uh, to be humble. Essentially, it means a willingness to serve to put others first. I like the words that Paul uses in his letter to the Philippians. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not look into your own interests, but each of you to the interests of of others. And that idea of valuing others above yourself, is ridiculed in the world in the 21st century, and it probably has been in every century. Can you imagine a global corporation, or indeed any company, including in their statement of values, expected employees, do nothing out of selfish ambition, but rather in humility value others above yourselves, not look into your own interests, but to the interests of others. Who would want to work for such a company if you had the ambition to climb up the ladder? Most senior executives, not all of course, have needed a largish dose of selfish ambition to get to the top of their organisations. And likewise, I guess, probably in governments too. And most sectors of society but there's no place for it in the body of Christ. I like those words of Paul to the Philippians, but what I like more is the picture of Jesus as he kneels with a towel wrapped round his waist with which to dry his disciples' washed feet. Of course, in that act, Jesus was demonstrating his very reason for coming to earth as a man, not to be served, but to serve. And to use a quote from that same chapter in Philippians, Jesus made himself nothing. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And to introduce that passage in Philippians chapter 2, which is so familiar, Paul actually tells the believers, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. As we return to uh, Ephesians, a passage there, we have to ask, do we simply comfort ourselves by the fact that we are not proud? Or are we, a note, Paul says, completely Are we 
completely humble? Do we actually value our brothers and sisters in Christ above ourselves? In our relationships with others, do we have the same mindset as Christ? It's a big ask. But actually, that's not true. It's not, Paul is not asking us. He's instructing us. So what about gentleness? The literal translation of the Greek is meekness. It flows out of humility. It denotes courtesy and consideration. To be gentle requires us to avoid, obviously to avoid harsh words and language, and avoid treating people harshly. Paul's instruction to the Christians at Ephesus is really quite straightforward. All he was saying, really saying, was be like Jesus. Jesus said of himself, I am gentle and humble in heart. And it was not said in any boastful way, of course, but only in the context of encouraging weary people to come to, to him for rest. You know that very familiar words in Matthew 11. Come to me, all you are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Humility, gentleness, what about patience? The literal translation of the Greek gives us the word long-tempered. I like the word long-suffering. In the context of this passage, it means accepting, without complaining, the habits or characteristics of others which naturally annoy us. It means not getting irritated by the things that irritate us if that makes sense. It means not giving up on a new believer whom we're trying to help, but who continually falls back into old patterns of life. It means not opting out of a a one-to-one when the other person is not quite the person you thought he was, he's not quite your cup of tea, or he has some some odd habits, or he's not so well-grounded in theology as you are, or worse still, he supports Chelsea. It means not opting out of a smaller local group or any other group because you don't quite see eye to eye with the leader. She doesn't lead the group in the way that you would. And talking of eyes, let us remember what Jesus said about finding fault with others. He spoke of the need to be log-sighted. Yes, I did say log-sighted and long-sighted. We all remember what Jesus said. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that's in your own? That's something that most of us are really good at, and Jesus knew it. We are good at overlooking our own faults and failings. And we're not, and we're good at spotting others. In talking of the need to be patient, perhaps Paul was only too aware 
of the patience which the Lord had shown to him and was continuing to show to him and likewise to all believers. We see that from what Paul wrote in his letter to Timothy. Paul wrote, Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Paul was acknowledging God's incredible patience in pursuing him and drawing him to himself and his continuing patience as Paul stumbled through his life as a sinner saved by by Christ's mercy. It was the same for all the believers in Ephesus as it has been for all believers, including ourselves. How many of us would not be here today if God had not been patient? Had he given up on us the first time we understood the gospel only to turn back on his mercy? Or the second time or the third time? Paul's message is simple As God has been so patient with us, so we must be patient with each other. So what does it look like to bear with one another in love? It is being like Jesus, being humble, being gentle, and being patient. And what can a church look like when it fails to bear with one another in love? Paul was fearful of what he might find on a visit to the church in in, in Corinth. He wrote, I fear that there may be discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, slander, gossip, arrogance and disorder. And his list could have been so much longer. We've looked at what it means to bear with one another in love and what a church can look like when it fails to do so. A second question is, why is it so important? And I'm suggesting there are two reasons. It is, firstly, it is the outworking of love and secondly, it is crucial for unity. So let us look at this, the outworking of love. This is self-evident, but nevertheless important, because when we bear with one another, we are following Jesus' teaching to love one another. He wrote not long before he demonstrated that incredible love for us by going to the cross. He wrote, a new command I give you, love one another, As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. If only Jesus had said, love some of your brothers and sisters, we could easily have coped with that. But there's no hardship in loving people who are just like us, people who 
like me, have so few faults, or at least so few faults that I'm prepared to acknowledge. But it's quite another matter, of course, loving those who are so different from us, with whom we have little in common. And yet it is the one thing that we do have in common, a love for Jesus that should and must draw us together in a love for each other, that, that enables us to accept the differences we have. And secondly, it is crucial for unity. Paul follows up his instruction to bear with one another in love by being humble, gentle and patient with a further instruction in verse 3. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Believers are already united by virtue of their status as fellow citizens and members of God's household. We see that in chapter 2, verse 18. But that's no guarantee itself of unity. Paul goes on to mention seven theological propositions that speak of the reality of the unity that the church in Ephesus already shares. One body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. And unity is quite a a key issue for Paul. He speaks of it in other of his letters. In particular, in Colossians, he gives an almost identical instruction to a to what what we see in these verses. In Philippians, he speaks of the importance of being one in spirit and one in mind. In his second letter to Thessalonians, he thanks God that the believers are growing in love for one another. What are the consequences for a local church that falls into disunity? Here I think are just some of them. Above all else, the church dishonours and grieves the Lord Jesus. The church may be deflected from keeping the cross at the very centre of its worship and at the very centre of its entire ministry. It becomes inward-looking as it seeks to restore unity. It may cease to be an effective witness to the love of Christ in its community. Its people will hurt. And it is inevitably deflected from its core mission to make disciples of Jesus. In essence, until unity is restored, it cannot be fully fit for purpose. The unity within a a local church is such a precious thing. We're so so thankful to the Lord for the unity which we enjoy here at Christ Church, but it is only by his grace and mercy. We do not take it for granted as we know that it can be easily lost. And we know that Satan will always look for an opportunity to attack it. So let each of us with the Spirit's help, bear with one another in love through humility, gentleness and patience, having the same mindset as the Lord Jesus. 
And let us make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. These occasional messages from our One Another series remind us that it's so important that we do meet and share with fellow believers, not just on a Sunday. If you're a regular member of our Sunday congregation, but are not meeting up with others in the congregation, or not part of a group, I would urge you to do so. Please do speak to me or to one of our staff team. So this morning's message has been clearly a message primarily for those who are true followers of Jesus Christ, having trusted him for the forgiveness of their sins. There may be someone here this morning who has yet to take that step or may not know what it involves. I'll be very happy to talk with you outside afterwards. If that doesn't sound too threatening, we'll talk to you outside. Likewise, if there's someone watching the live stream today, I'll views it later, who would like to understand what it means to be a follower of Jesus, please do get in contact with somebody at the church, use the contact form on the website. We would love to help you in any way we can. Let me close in prayer. Father God, I pray that you will help me and each one of us to reflect on what you have said to us through your word and to act as your spirit prompts us. I pray that we will all grow more like our Saviour, the Lord Jesus, and with the same mindset as him, we will bear with one another in love. For we ask this for the honour and glory of Jesus and for his church. Amen.